0: Thank you worship team. If you believe that God is faithful, say yes. yes. Amen. That is a great song. Thank you guys. Good afternoon everyone. Good afternoon. You guys got me today. Yes. So whether that's um you guys are so guys are so gracious, whether that's good news or bad news for you, it's really good to just spend this time with you. The title of the sermon is Community Restoration, Nehemiah's Model of Repentance. Let's, um, Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are faithful. And thank you, Lord God, that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Oh, thank you for that, Lord God. It's not condemnation, it's not guilt, but it's your kindness, your goodness to us. And so that's why we respond this way in repentance. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're in a series on repentance as a way of life. So if you have your Bibles or devices, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, Verses 1 to 9, or if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers can get you one. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. I've had the privilege of working now in the area of community development. My name is Red, by the way. I'm the director of New Life CDC. And just in my work here in this local neighborhood, I see signs of brokenness and I see signs of sin in the area. And I'll give you I'll give you an example. Many of you have never heard these phrases, happy endings or rub and tug, probably, and they pertain as they pertain to massages. In Elmhurst, there's a growing number of these hole-in-the-wall spas, sometimes four to five of them or six on a single block that offer these erotic massages. The customer comes in, they give a tip, they pay for a massage, but they also pay for masturbation, both men and women. And it grieves me, it just breaks my heart, especially since there is such a growing number of them. Many of these spas are legitimate, yes, but many of them also do this illicit work, and there's a demand for them. So even a block away from here, when you go, town, go down toward Broadway or Grand Avenue, there are spas that are legitimate, but then there are some, when you Google their phone number on the canopy or what have you, it gets you into these websites called Rub Maps. It shows a network of establishments where you can go get an erotics, many times Asian massages. You go on these websites, the banner ad shows soft porn, and then the users of these establishments can actually post reviews of how the women were, many of whom are probably exploited, immigrant women just trying to make it in New York City. And so obviously there's pain and there's sin and there's brokenness around us. And it's not just in the area of sexual brokenness. You, You see it. You see the brokenness around you. You see the sin around you. It might be the hate or the racism that you see in our communities. Maybe the brokenness that you see is homelessness or unemployment. Or you see the growing disparity in income between those who have and those who do not have. Or maybe the disparity between those that have access to greater opportunities and those who do not. And maybe some of you are just not aware of these issues around our neighborhoods, well, really, all you need to do is turn on the evening news. And you can see the sin and the brokenness around us. And a natural response to this kind of brokenness is sadness. It's normal. But my question for you is, how do you respond to that sadness? Do you shrug it off? After all, what can you do? Do you bring it to God? Do you vent or make your feelings known in social media? But I want you to know that how you handle your sadness is significant because there's a way of handling your sadness that simply continues to lead to down to this brokenness. But there's also a way of dealing with our sadness that brings more of God in your lives and more of God in our neighborhoods. And so there's a way of responding to sadness and brokenness that brings restoration. And Nehemiah has this response. So let's, let's dive right in. Let's go to chapter 1. Let me read that for us. The words of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, when he's writing this, he's, um, uh, he is in the city of Susa, which is mile, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. Nehemiah is a public official in the Persian government, away from Jerusalem. And he writes, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. So he's asking about Jerusalem. So what's happening here? So here's a map of Babylon and Susa on the right side, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, And so what's happening is when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, thousands of Israelites were forcibly deported from Jerusalem to cities like Babylon and Susa. They began to live in exile away from Jerusalem. Nehemiah was born in that context. His family, he was born to a family that was in exile. And so he never has, he never saw Jerusalem, the home of his ancestors. And so that's why he's asking what's happening in Jerusalem to the people and to the place of Jerusalem. And then that's where he receives the news about what's taking place in that city. The number of years that has taken place between the destruction of Jerusalem and Nehemiah 1 is 160 years. And so let's keep on reading together in verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things I sat down and wept, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, that the gates are burned with fire. And just to give us kind of a sense of the feelings that Jeremiah, that Nehemiah was, was feeling, um, think back for a moment to nine eleven. In 2001, and imagine that those terrorist attacks were not just targeted toward downtown, but instead toward areas in Brooklyn and also in Queens. And imagine for a moment that one of the buildings destroyed in Queens was this very building that you're sitting in right now. So that when you would walk by, what you would see is rubble. How would you feel? And imagine it stayed in that condition for more than a 100 years. Now you're beginning to see why Nehemiah writes in verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And so there's this sadness that's just overcoming Nehemiah because of what's taking place. He sees the brokenness around him. And it's even heavier on his heart because he knows that the sin of his people and the sin of his community Led to that brokenness. And really, we can relate to Nehemiah. It may not be in a way that's physical. But in our neighborhoods, we find that brokenness as well. And I I mentioned sexual brokenness at the beginning. Here's another one that really weighs on me, and maybe it weighs on you as well. And it's in the area of gentrification. Where those with greater purchasing power, they move into a neighborhood particularly in the areas of housing. And whether intentionally or not, they drive out those who are vulnerable and those who have economic lack. I'll give you an example of that glimpse in our neighborhood. Here's a building on Ketchum Street, which is near Elmhurst Hospital, several blocks from here. So there's a particular building that had most of its apartments rented out to local families. There were around 120 apartments There. And what happened was, and just to give you a sense of that block, here's a photo of the houses right across the street of this, right across the street. What happened is that there's a a developer from Douglas and Queens that, that came and purchased 116 of these apartments, 90% of that building with the intention of renovating and then reselling as co-ops. And so if you're renting in that building, how would you feel? Maybe you would feel anxious. Are you going to stay or not? Or I imagine some of those 116 families maybe felt excitement because is it possible that they could afford one of these apartments that would be going on the market soon after the developers purchased it? Well, if you were one of those families, the average income in that particular neighborhood near Elmhurst Hospital is around. $36,000, so what would be the affordable price for them if they were to purchase a co-op of one hundred fifty dollars to $200,000? Unfortunately, what happens is that more than 100 families are displaced, and then after the renovation, the developer lists the apartment for sale. So this is what it used to look like. I drove by, and that's what the place looks like now it looked nice. It's nice. And so I was just curious to see who the brokers were. I looked up at the prices. And so if a family in that neighborhood can afford that co-op for 150 to 200k, a two bedroom in that Berkshire apartment building was listed at 635,000 and that went into contract. Some of you are saying, hey, that's a good deal. What's a three-bedroom list for? It was listed, a three-bedroom with two-bath is $720,000. So the new owners created housing in our neighborhood, but not for our neighbors. Imagine I said, let's evict hundreds of families from this neighborhood. Let's create nicer housing that none of them could afford. And so there are forces like this, like gentrification and development and displacement, that are like these powers that muscle their way through a neighborhood like this slow, powerful bulldozer. And it brings sadness. And there's this one resident that put it, it feels like a hostile takeover. What she was saying was, there's brokenness around me. There's brokenness when development leads to the displacement of hundreds of families. And I know I'm not alone in feeling these sadness. It may not exactly be in the areas of housing, but you guys express the same sadness in response to the brokenness in your own communities. Or in this one. You express how much sadness you get when you see so much fear in the immigrant communities, in this political climate, or how the prison system is destroying communities color, of color, or how there's such a lack of concern for the environment, or in a spiritual setting, somebody pointed out to me that 50% of the kids growing up at church walk away from Jesus by the time they're in college. And then somebody else pointed out this one to me the largest age group that consumes largest age group that consumes online porn online pornography is the age group of 12 to 17 year old Thanks for the great message red <laughs> And so the question is how do we respond to this kind of brokenness around us And that's where Nehemiah comes in, because there's a way to respond to sadness and brokenness that births more of God in your life and in your neighborhoods. There's a response to sadness and brokenness that leads to restoration. And so let's look at what Nehemiah does, starting in verse 4. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And so there's a recognition of the love of God there. And then he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. And so Nehemiah repents. And then he continues, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, now this is God speaking. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But here's a very simple definition of repentance. If you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. And so Nehemiah sees the brokenness in the community. It brings him sadness. And his response is repentance. Why is that his response? Repentance is his response because he sees the connection. He sees the connection between the brokenness around him and the disobedience of his people, and he makes that connection. He sees what is broken around him and how he participated in that same brokenness. He makes that significant connection. And so a question for us today is, is there neighborhood brokenness that we see that we have participated in? And so God has revealed this in my life and how he showed me that same connection where I feel the sadness about these illicit massages taking place in my neighborhood, and yet my past porn addiction really contributed to that industry. And so my behavior was part of the problem. I feel the sadness about the displacement of the poor by profit-driven builders but then I recognize that in my own real estate investment, I did the same thing. And so it might be similar for you when you say, I feel sadness about how we neglect the homeless, and yet we do the same. Or how so many people, you're sad about how so many people don't know Jesus, and yet you don't really talk about Jesus, nor what he has done in your life. Or you're sad about the condition of racism and hate in our communities or government, but then you yourself don't reach out to people of different color. And so maybe you've missed the connection that I pray the Holy Spirit reveals to us today through the actions of Nehemiah and so just as Nehemiah's response was repentance, our response to the sadness that comes from brokenness needs to be repentance as well. And when and when we respond in repentance, restoration comes. Restoration comes. And so I, I just I just need to take a few moments to explain why repentance is such a superior response to sadness and brokenness as compared to other responses when you see these kind of conditions in your neighborhood. One response is sadness paralysis. We do nothing. And it's not that we don't care. We just don't know what to do. The issues are so complex. We just shrug our shoulders and then we move on. And we say that's just the way it is. And so hear the the words of the late urban philosopher Tupac in one of his rap songs that I really liked. He said, I see no changes. All I see is racist faces. Misplaced hate makes disgrace to races. Take evil out of people. They'll be acting right because both black and white are smoking crack tonight. You say, I made a G today, but you made it in a sleazy way, selling crack to kids. I got to get paid. What's he rapping about? Neighborhood brokenness. And what's the chorus of the song? That's just the way it is. It's sadness paralysis. It's a response that many of us have. And then sometimes you want to do something about it, and so there's this action itch like action is some kind of itch that you got to scratch. I just want to do something about the conditions I see. But what happens with the action itch is that it's very quick to blame, and it does a really poor job in processing your own pain. And so I can easily blame the spa owner, even though I don't know exactly what happens behind that storefront or I failed to process the pain of how my own previous porn addiction participated in that kind of brokenness. I'll tell you why blame is really juicy. It's because when we blame somebody else, we proclaim ourselves not guilty. (laughs) And that always feels good. The problem is out there, not in here. It is their fault. That's what an action itch does. You're so hot to act, you blame. And you fail to process how your own actions have participated in the very brokenness that brings you sadness. And that's why repentance is superior because it recognizes that we have participated in this. Another way of putting it, Sadness paralysis says that there is no Savior. That's just the way it is. The action itch says, I am Savior. Repentance says, God is Savior. And when you recognize him as Savior, you will cry out for that Savior, and he responds because that's what a Savior does, respond. And so just why is repentance important? Let's, let's look at this and starting in verse seven. Why is repentance really important? In verse seven, we, this is Nehemiah saying, we have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws we gave, you gave your servant Moses. And so repentance recognizes that we are guilty. That's difficult to swallow. And then we read on, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me, and so repentance is important because not only does it recognize that we are guilty, but we also recognize that there is a God of love who beckons us to return to him. He says, return to me and obey my commands. It is a recognition that there is a God who wants me back. That's why re- repentance is beautiful. And then there's comforting there's a comforting part in the in the in verse 9 where it reads if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling place of my name. And what what does it what's that saying? It says that it does not matter how far you've gone. It does not matter the kind of brokenness or sin that you sit in. I will restore you. I will bring restoration. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed from me, nor how long you've been gone. Repent and obey, and I will restore you. I will bring restoration, our Father God says. And so the disobedience of people bring brokenness but repentance restores it. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it puts it this way. Many of you know this verse. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. Thank you, God. And I will heal their land. Amen. 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 And so what does Nehemiah do? He, he begins to confess the sins of his neighborhood. He confesses the sin of the nation. There is nationwide brokenness which warrants nationwide repentance because citywide brokenness warrants citywide repentance. And so he recognizes that. And then as he confesses the sin of his people, he says, myself included. But wait a second, Nehemiah. You've never been to Jerusalem. How are you responsible? That's where he makes the connection, that there is a connection between personal sin and community brokenness. And he sees that. And he confesses not only his own sin, but also the sin of his family, confessing generational sin that seems to be passed down. And so Nehemiah recognized that the sins that began with his forefathers need not continue with him. And so he he repents. The sins of your fathers need not continue with you. And so the sins that your fathers committed, your mothers committed, your grandparents committed can stop with you with repentance and obedience. Praise God. And so there's another part of repentance here that's shown in Nehemiah chapter 2. There's another part of repentance that's not just confessing of sins. There's another part of repentance where he enters into the brokenness. He enters into pain. In chapter 2, it reads, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. He finds community. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. By night, I went, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem." So there's another part of repentance that's highlighted here. He goes to Jerusalem. He travels hundreds of miles to enter into the brokenness. He walks among the ruins. That's what he does. And he does it in community. He does it with others. And then as he walks into that pain and he walks into that brokenness, Instructions come and there's this call to action that's deposited in his heart. How many times have we asked, God, I see this brokenness. What do I do? Well, Nehemiah had this beautiful model. There is repentance. There's a confession of sin. There's a walking into the pain and the brokenness in community with others. And then there's this call to action from God. God answers. And that's when he responds and says, come, let us rebuild. There are some of you, you have no problem repenting. And you'll have a chance to do that again today when we talk about repentance as a way of life. But there are some of you, it is absolutely time to enter with the company of others into the pain and brokenness of those around you. It is time. Repent if your actions have participated in the very brokenness that affects you. But then walk the ruins. What does that look like? Walking the ruins could mean hearing the stories of the homeless men and women around us. Walking the ruins could be joining in peaceful political protest after you've done the inner work of repentance. Walking the ruins might mean listening to the poor and the hurting in our communities. What might walking the ruins mean for you? And as you enter the pain and the broken, I have this hunch. I have this hunch that God will begin to place instructions in your heart. And that as you obey him, you become an instrument of that restoration that you seek. But it begins with repentance. And so there's a question that we're really asking here when we see the brokenness around us. You see the brokenness around you and you see the sadness and you ask, how can we fix it? What can make all things new? You know what you're asking? You're asking, where are the Nehemiahs? Where are the Nehemiahs? But let me submit to you that the ultimate Nehemiah came 2,000 years ago and is present with us this afternoon. The ultimate Nehemiah left the heavens. He entered into the sin and the brokenness of our earth, and he walked the ruins and better than Nehemiah, this ultimate Nehemiah named Jesus Christ, our Messiah, does, he doesn't confess sin. He bears sin upon himself. And he bears brokenness upon himself so that those who repent and come to him can receive forgiveness that comes from God. And that you can receive the pardon of your sin. And when you follow him as Lord When you follow him as Lord, you and your actions begin to be a glimpse of that restoration because it's Jesus Christ, the ultimate Messiah, that says, I am making all things new. He says that in Revelations 21. I make all things new. And when we follow him as Lord, he will use you and your actions as a glimpse of that newness And restoration. You become the Nehemiah as you follow Jesus, the ultimate Nehemiah, our Messiah. That is why repentance is superior to any of these other actions. That we turn to Him as Lord, Savior, Restorer, the mender of broken walls, our Savior. Who makes all things new. This is Jesus. And so, just as a, just as a, just to to tie it all together, Nehemiah's model of repentance, he, he sees the brokenness around him, the sadness. There's repentance. He walks among the ruins. And then there's this beautiful obedience that he walks through in community with others. And then in Nehemiah chapter six, it reads, They realized that this work, once the work of building the walls was done, that this work had been done with the help of our God. And so let me, let me just share my own personal, um, journey in, in wrestling with this. So I I mentioned to you that I see the development and the displacement that's happening in our communities, especially along Queens Boulevard. And it brought sadness to me. And, because I'm part of the community board, I get to, some of these own, get to speak to some of these owners who come in and let us know about what they're doing, and I get it, I get it. You need to make a profit for you to, to be able to continue this work. I understand that. But when I talk about, to these owners, about making housing more affordable, they look at me like I'm from Mars, And then what do I do? Just sadness paralysis sets in with me. It sets in. And so I don't know what to do. And then there's this action itch that arises in me. I want to do something. I start blaming the developers and politicians, even though I don't really know who they are. And then I come across verses like this. If any, this is in Leviticus, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so that they can continue to live among you. I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to do something. You know how your neighbor tells you that they can't afford the rent that they're paying? According to the book of Leviticus, we actually have a part to play in that so that they can continue to live among you. I used to just pray for them. And so this action, it just began to rise up even more. And so what did I do? I started giving out money to people that were having a tough time paying their rent. I stopped doing that, by the way, so you don't have to come up to me later. (laughs) I remember um, I met this one uh, woman, mother of four. She was having trouble with her rent. And so um, uh, I went to her house, her apartment, I gave her money. And then, um, because I'm a good Christian, I prayed for her. And then I shared the gospel with her. And then I asked her to receive Jesus. And then she said yes. And then I thought, did I just pay somebody to receive Jesus? course she said yes red you just paid her <laughs> I was a mess and so I just entered back into this sadness and then somebody spoke to me and they gave me a word of wisdom and they said red God is in that sadness there's a message for you in that sadness that you probably won't hear in happiness. And so Jesus led me inward. And then he brought me to, like, my sin and how I participated in the greed and in the development around me. You know, he brought me back to this history. When I was just involved in a measure of um, uh, real estate investment, I was chasing after the American dream. You got to make that cash. And I was doing well. And I remember I met this person that was having trouble with his mortgage payments. And if you're a real estate investor, you start to have a little bit of drool when you meet people who are having trouble with their mortgage payments because you can take their house and help them. And so I remember there was this one guy. I was a Christian at this point. There's a way to figure out who's struggling with their mortgage payments and those who miss their mortgage payments. So I paid that person a visit because I'm a good Christian and I want to help them. I even brought my Bible to show that I was compassionate. (laughs) And I asked them about their hardship, showed a sad face, and then Holy Spirit said, Red, what are you doing? Do you really want to help this person or do you want their house? I said, Shh. (laughs) Trying to help someone, Lord. Can't you see I'm bringing my Bible into their house? I repented. I wanted that person's house so I could add it to my portfolio. And I repented. And I recognize that the brokenness that brings me sadness in this neighborhood is something that I actually participated in. And then I confess the sin of my family and how my dad was involved in something similar as well. But thank God that Jesus brings forgiveness. Oh, thank you, Lord. And then I entered. I walked the ruins. I entered into the pain of the, of, of people who are displaced. I remember I met this one homeless individual. Um, he was in temporary housing. Got to know his story a little bit, and then um, he said he needed money. But this time I was a little wiser. At that point, I said, "For what?" You know. And he said, "Well, he just got landed an interview for a really good job." And I said, "So you know, what are your next steps?" And he said, "I really need to get some." clothes um, for my interview. And then I said, OK, um, where are you planning to go? So I'm not offering any help at this point. I'm just watching their lead. And then he says, yeah, I really want to buy this suit, but I can't afford it. And then I said, oh, OK, well, maybe there are some of us that can help you with it. Even though I knew what I wanted to do, I wanted to be able to create space and kind of go before God and see what I should do. So I went into community with others, let them know about the situation. Then I went back to that gentleman and then I said, listen, if, if you go halfway, we'll meet you halfway so that we can split the cost as a way of supporting your effort. Because I wanted him to have skin in the game. And I didn't give him money directly. I said, listen, let me go shopping with you. Just as a way of getting to know your situation, not because I don't trust you. I just want to see what you're going through. Went to Macy's with him. And I heard the stories. I heard his story. And that was actually the beginnings and the the beginnings of kind of this instruction about how to do success groups, which many of you heard about. It's a project that releases funding to families in a way that is very honoring, responsible, sustainable, that rewards their initiative. And what started off as eight families in success groups is now reaching 20. And so there's this slow restoration that's taking place. And it's beautiful. And so as we move into communion, I'd like to be able to create space and opportunity for you guys to respond. And so let me call up to the, to the front, the worship team, and also the folks that are going to give out communion. I'm gonna, in, a, in a few moments, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads, um, not right now, because I want to give you a chance to respond. Are you, seeing, are you seeing a connection between your own personal sin and brokenness and the brokenness around you? Or maybe you don't see that connection, but maybe you just really don't care. Or you're in sadness paralysis or action itch, and you don't know what to do, there's a way of responding and it's responding in repentance and acknowledging that you have participated in the same brokenness that you see. And so would you just bow your heads for a moment? Just bow your heads because I want to give those who want to respond in repentance by simply raising your hands. And so if you recognize that you need to repent and seek God for forgiveness, I invite you to raise your hands. And Father, I pray for those who have their hands raised. Father, receive the repentance, Lord God, that they're exhibiting now. And I ask you, Lord, Bring forgiveness because of your kindness, because you beckon us to return to you. And so upon your confession and repentance, receive forgiveness now. Amen. You can put your hands down. And so just as a way of just talking about um, possible next steps here up on the screen, um, maybe it's time for you to engage in housing or sex or labor exploitation. You can email me about that. There's a growing number of new lifers that are getting engaged. Or maybe for you it's time to really get involved in a small group that has a local focus. And so missional neighborhood groups are what we call them. You can email my wife, especially if you're in the Elmhurst Corona neighborhood. Or you could be part of their blood drive today in your response. <laughs> You're so grateful for the blood shed for you that you're willing to shed some blood for others. There's a blood drive today in the Shell Room. Or on April 15th, there's a Jericho walk on Saturday, April 15th. You can go to nycurbanproject.com events as a way of finding out more information. And it's simply, what is it? It's a walk led by Jonathan Walton, who's a new lifer and it's a form of prayerful resistance against forces that bring brokenness. And then lastly, there's, there's communion. And so why don't you rise with me? The communion table, and we can put um, that prayer of confession up. The communion table... Is a table of repentance. It's a way of returning to Jesus, recognizing that we are guilty, but that He wants us to return to Him. And so after this prayer, you'll come up, you'll grab the bread, dip it in the cup, and then you'll take it back to your seat so that we can partake together. Let's pray, and then you can go forward. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, We have sinned against you through our own faults, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you. In newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. Why don't you come forward? Father, we partake of this bread and this cup as a sign of repentance, recognizing Lord God that we've been far away too long. So we want to return to you. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 he writes, "For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, for your forgiveness, for your restoration. It's for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together. Amen. Amen. Let me call the prayer team up to my left in case you have additional business with God. You can go up to my left to the prayer team, and so if you're part of that prayer team, you can come up now. There's some of you here you know, maybe, maybe you don't know Jesus. You know of him, but you don't know him. Today could be a new day for you. Today, you can receive the forgiveness of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and as your Lord. Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate Nehemiah, because he is our Messiah. And so if the way that you really live your life is really you being God, you've chosen your own way, there's something better for you. And that is receiving Christ as Lord. And so I invite you up after the the service is done. Or if you simply want to receive prayer for something else, come up as well. And so here at New Life, we posture our hands in a way of receiving simply because God wants to bless. And so may God bless you and may He keep you. And may He cause His face to shine upon you and fill you with peace, gratitude, restoration that comes from Him. And may He flood you and fill you. And may you go today in the power and in the love and in the restorative power. Of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. Return to me, he says. Receive restoration. And everybody said, Amen. 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 God bless you guys.